0: Let's. I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit. Go. Save it for the pod. Pod takes. Welcome to Ontario Lab, the podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs, hosted by recovering political and policy staff, recorded right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. I'm Alvin Tejo. I'm
1: Sam Andrew.
2: And I'm Garima Talwar Kapoor.
0: Lots to get through today. It was a huge week in Ontario politics last week. Obviously, we are going to start by talking about the cabinet shuffle that happened. Groundwork was laid by senior Ford staff who positioned this as being prepared for the next election. So we'll dive into how well we think it does that. A $2.3 billion education recovery plan was announced by Ontario's Liberal Party, with full disclosure that it was worked on heavily by our very own Sam Andrew. So obviously, need to rip it to shreds. And also, friends, there are some new attack ads from the NDP out right now. And so might be a good time to just check in on how things are feeling going into the pre-election year. And finally, as you may have seen from every corporate logo in existence, it is Pride Month. And well, it's fun, I have personally enjoyed laughing at, say, toothpaste companies with slogans like smile with pride. It is still an incredibly important time of the year, so we're going to reflect a little on how far we've come and how far we have to go. So that's a, a big agenda for today. I uh, thought we would just dive right in. So. We'll start with the cabinet shuffle. And this was a pretty huge cabinet shuffle with a lot of groundwork laid before that. I think had a certain amount of drama to it, like you know, named Ford sources saying that they were in the seat winning business, that this was about retaliation against MPPs who spoke out uh, against lockdown. So here are just some of the changes: Jill Dunlop replaces Ross Romano at colleges and universities. Ross Romano himself moves to the Minister Ministry of Con- Government and Consumer Services. Marilee Fullerton, of course, very controversial, her handling of long term care moves to Community and Social Services. Todd Smith moves from Community social services to energy. Parm Gill, who you might remember from the 407 data breach scandal, moved to moves to uh, MCI or citizenship and immigration. Rod Phillips back on the scene, uh, uh, coming from outside of cabinet to take over long-term care from merrily Froleton A big promotion for Pramit Sakarya, who moved from an associate minister of small business to the president of the treasury board. King Asirma becomes the minister of infrastructure. Lisa Thompson, who was in MGCS, where Ross Romano's moving, is now in agricultural and rural affairs. Greg Rickford moves from Energy and Indigenous Affairs, and he's moving to Northern Development Mines and Natural Development Resource and Forestry, which... A four-in-one combo. Yeah, and he's also taking uh, the Indigenous file with him, so it's going to be, it looks like that's going to be in Great shape. Super priority
3: for this government, obviously.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, David piccini uh, who was Ross Romano's parliamentary assistant, so not a full minister, uh, got a big promotion becoming the Minister of Environment, Conservation, and Parks. So it is, like I said earlier, it is important to remember that this shuffle was framed as a bit of retaliation against cabinet members from rural ridings who pushed against lockdown. So perhaps unsurprising to see a few of these folks kicked out of cabinet. Laurie Scott, Ernie Hardeman, John Iacobusti. John Yakubuski, Bill Walker, Jeff Yurick, all lost their cabinet position. And actually only Steve Clark, who is um, the Minister of Housing and Municipal Affairs, who was rumored to have privately dissented against the pandemic measures, survived the purge of rural members from cabinet. So I think the most important question in front of us looking at this was, who was the most right among all of us with our cabinet predictions? But more importantly, what were, I just, Curious, like now that we actually see it, what are our observations about what this government thinks is working, what isn't working, and how it wants to position itself to Ontario in advance of the election?
1: I can start. I was surprised by it. I think my biggest surprise is the number of high profile ministers who stayed put. Like the media really led with Christine Elliott at health and Stephen Lecce at education. But It was much more than that, right? Like Lisa McLeod, stay put at tourism. Steve Clark, stay put at municipal. Doug Downey at attorney general. Vic Fidelity at economic development. Sylvia Jones at solicitor general. Monty McNaughton at labor. I think that maybe that's it. But, oh, and then Peter Bethan-Falvey at finance, who who they split up treasury board. But- the people i just listed are the face of this government right the people that they moved with the exception of marilee fullerton and rod phillips are much more low profile and so that tells me that they're fine with the way that their government's image is being projected right now which i mean fair enough i guess Uh, but then the two people that were really the headline of the cabinet shuffle were two people I don't think you want associated with headlines, right? Marilee Fullerton, who everyone has been criticized, her handling of the long-term care sector, you know, everyone was saying now in charge of, of children and much more things like, oh, isn't that great? And then Rod Phillips, who everybody I think mostly knows as the guy who went on vacation during a pandemic, is back. Like, So I just don't know, I guess they dumped it on a Friday, but like, if there was trying to be a reset to show... This is, you know, new, fresh government with, with new ideas coming out of this pandemic. It certainly didn't do that. So all it really felt like was a play to the Peel uh, region, basically, of appointing a bunch of members.
3: Yeah, they they added some color, they added some chromosomes, and or took away some, and it uh, made it uh, more diverse somehow. But I also love how they you know could just completely from the beginning of their for the people cabinet first ever you know we're going to have a smaller cabinet we're going to value merit and performance and uh, ability to do the job over other sort of token demographics and reasons people get appointed to the cabinet they just threw all of that out the window all of it, right? I mean, this cabinet is bigger. People are appointed to positions where they have no business being there. People who should be kicked out of cabinet because they've done a terrible job, objectively speaking, from a number of different stakeholders are just shuffled around, right? Yeah, you could say they needed Rod Phillips to come back because they needed an adult in the room and they needed somebody who could do anything. But why did you keep all the other deadweight people who shouldn't be in cabinet anymore because they objectively have failed their files and the province in the process, right? The fact that Rickford has indigenous affairs on top of Northern development, mines, natural resources, and forestry just goes to where this government, where you know this government doesn't give a shit about, right? Like it's it's an indigenous people's day today, the day that we're recording. And they were like, yeah, I don't care. This doesn't need a standalone person to actually focus on this. We'll just, you know. They're good yeah. for resources and, and forestry and 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 mining and all that stuff, and we don't really need to have anybody thinking about them in any sort of different way. Why
1: would they, yeah. why they put yeah. Marilee where they did?
3: Like I just don't understand it, Marilee
1: Fullerton. Like she's gotta it, deal with kids now. Like they <laughs> thought that it had to be a woman, like move Sylvia Jones, move Caroline Rooney. Like I just it didn't make any sense to me.
3: Yeah. She's the autism file now, too, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, which and is social uh, assistance, like everybody who's on yeah. Ontario Works and, and ODSP. Like, this couldn't be the, the more wrong person to do this job. Yeah,
0: there was, I think, perhaps a statement that they wanted to make around reorienting around the GTA. You know, maybe saying this sort of like rural-led lockdown anti perspective is not welcome around the cabinet table. However, I do think that it, it says that like this government is very comfortable. With how policy is working right now, and I think that that's a, a huge problem for those of us in the the policy community who are worried about that as a direction. I mean, I'll just I'll just use Steve Clark as an example. You know, Steve Clark, rumored to have been quite anti lockdown, former rural mayor. You know, but he holds a lot of the municipal the municipal relationships the funding and the they've particularly been, he's been sort of like, you know, doing a lot of the MZOs, the, the rezoning and the involvement of the province in municipal planning. And I think it, I, th- I saw a lot of folks on Twitter saying like, oh, I'm surprised he wasn't moved because of that. And I sort of read that as, oh, they, they like this strategy. They like what he's doing. And they clearly view him as a, as a, as a, as a leader who they can't remove for the same reasons that they removed everyone else. And so, you know, I think that like. If I think this government is trying to present a new face, but that their approach to policy is one that they seem to fundamentally have confidence in, which, you know, after the year that we've seen Sylvia Jones as, you know, considering that it was like the carding thing that really tanked them in the polls the last time, they continue to think that this is more a communications issue and more a presentation issue than it is a policy issue for them. And so, I think for a progressive party, this did not for or for uh, people who want progressive policy in this province, this is not a step forward. This is like yeah, this is the same this is the same people.
3: I, I could see them justifying internally amongst themselves not removing Fullerton or Lecce from cabinet or from yes. In terms of Leche, their position as like we don't want to admit that we were wrong. We don't want to admit that we messed up. Like we're just yeah. this is a shuffle. We're moving a couple of people around, uh and on Leche, like I've heard a bunch of teachers like I can't believe that he's still there, given you know how fraught our relationship is right now, and that just shows that they don't care. They're like, yeah. no, he's a decent communicator. In terms of everybody else, we know we're not going to get teachers to vote for us, so we don't care.
0: Yeah, I
2: think. You know, on top of all of the really keen political perspectives that you've all offered, I think that it's also important to sort of think about what's happening on the public service end of things and the policy side of things. So like cabinet shuffles for the the sake of like trying to say, oh, we're just shuffling a couple of people around actually has enormous impacts on the public service in terms of creating the briefing materials that you need to get a new minister briefed up on their portfolio and so a year out into the election i think that you know there's there's trade offs that are made then right so if this is if this is predominantly about optics and less about policy, but post but public service staff still have to do the work of briefing up their ministers, you're delaying the even if you think it's important policy work that is going on, you're delaying that process from being undertaken, and so it takes a couple of months to to get to a point where ministers are comfortable with their portfolios. And by the time they get into the groove of things, the writ's going to be dropped. And so it, it feels really, if I was a public servant at this time, I'd be really thinking strategically about where do you put your efforts and where do you not put your efforts? Because, you know, there's a year out until the, the next election and, and not much more I don't think is going to change. It's also important to note though, that today is, Michelle De Manuel's, the new Secretary of Cabinet's first day as SOC. And so it's, I think it's interesting the timing of their cabinet shuffle, the ministers taking on their new portfolios, and a new SOC coming on board, like maybe they're, they're trying to figure out how to to do the political with the policy well, but I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: I want to talk a little bit about Prabmeet Sakharia and him becoming president of the Treasury Board in relation to what you just said, Grima, because it is sometimes the case that going into an election year, governments kind of move away from the kind of policy making that is multi-year, and they move to let's get the things that we said we were going to get done to a place where we can stand in front of voters and 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 and, and feel good about them. And with the Peel focus in this area, in this cabinet shuffle, and the cl- how clearly they are focusing on Brampton as a battleground, and putting Pramukh with his hand on the on the on the till, I think there's a really it'll be a very interesting space to watch because I wonder if the logic is let's pr- let's get a bunch of things approved for Peel that may be announced may not be announced but like you know things can get slowed down in treasury board sometimes and i feel like you know somebody who's familiar with peel politics who is not queen's park that reads to me as very like they have some dollars that need to flow before the next election into peel and i think that that's an interesting i that's a, I think a very risky play for a person who's his first time minister a portfolio and you know if they do things by the books it's fine and it makes sense as a logic but like you know there can be danger there which i think we've talked about a little bit before alvin
3: they they now have 3 peel ministers in cabinet right with with two rookies nina tangri and the other guy from mississauga so there's Uh, A lot of representation in the West End. It's interesting that most of the people who have taken on new roles who happen to be people of color or women are taking in sort of less important junior associate minister roles in support of the of the government as a whole and not really given these high profile positions.
0: Yeah.
1: My last word I want to say on this is read Martin Regcon's takedown of this new cabinet in the Star. It's mo- the most vicious I think I've ever seen um, him. And he basically says it's the worst cabinet in living memory, which is, I think, a pretty fair indictment. Like, if you're a parent, you know who Stephen Lecce is because you've spent the last, you know, 16 months paying close attention to when schools would be opened and closed, right? And do you think he did a good job? I guess they think... People think he did. I don't know. I guess we're going to talk
0: about that now in our next segment. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's move on to education uh, because with the aid of uh, certain. Ontario Loud host, the Ontario Liberal Party released an education recovery plan last week which proposes to invest over $2.3 billion in education should voters send Stephen Del Duca to the Premier's office. The plan calls for class size caps of 20, which will hire approximately 10,000 new teachers across Ontario, 1,000 more mental health professionals, 5,000 additional special education and student success coaches in schools. Before and after school weekend programs uh, are part of it. My personal favorite part, which... I was not expecting when I started the plan, but to cancel the 413 highway and reinvest $8 billion into school repairs with a focus on ventilation and air conditioning. There's also money for social workers, student transportation, outdoor education, repeat learning for folks who need to take another year. And uh, lastly, the plan is kind of situated in a return to in-person instruction and cancels the mandatory online learning introduced by Doug Ford well before the pandemic began, but provides funding to allow boards to still continue some degree of activity where parents, I guess, want choice uh, on a bit of a temporary basis. A big plan. I'm sure Doug Ford got it and was like, it's a great idea. We need to do this. So uh, Sam, maybe I'll start with you since you had a hand in advising. Just, and, you know, I'll try not to be too biased here, but I think a lot of exciting stuff here. But I'm, I'm curious for, you know, in your discussions around putting this particular set of proposals on the table, what is trying to, what is trying to be communicated here
1: yeah thanks i mean i think at a base level it's part of stephen though overall strategy to you know pick moments pre-election to put forward you know concrete plans and be seen as the guy with the chops to fix the mess that ford has created on the particulars of this I think it was just such a wide open door in the sense that the government couldn't even get its story straight. Like it was actually hilarious that day that they released this, they both said, well, we already have the best back to school plan and released it among the earliest of the provinces. So, so what is this? And then a few hours later we're saying, but our real back to school plan is in July. So stay tuned. Like they like, so the idea that they have done all that they need to do to position schools to reopen safely, nobody thinks is the case, right? And so this is, I think the Liberals attempt to put forward what they think is needed. And, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of people engaged with the Liberal Party, like they put on a bunch of town halls and like teletown halls. No, it was definitely thousands because there was thousands on that teletown hall. People want to you know, engage, because this government has basically locked them out of the decision making process. And by that, I mean, like teachers and and school boards, trustees and others. So I think this attempts to try to capture what people think is needed and signal that the Liberal Party wants to invest in, in education, unlike the current government.
0: Yeah.
3: So we don't really have an opposition here on the pod. So I'm going to put on my tinfoil Ontario proud hat and uh, lobby some wild accusations over here, Sam, and have you defend that. Why are you as liberals trying to increase the number of union members within uh, teachers ranks? You're clearly in bed with them and and obviously just trying to make it have more teachers in our socialist world province that we're you're trying to create. And I don't think there's any real data that shows that smaller class sizes work. And you guys are just coddling students and not preparing them for the real world by allowing them to take these remedial pieces and lastly obviously you had 15 years to fix this so shame on you for not doing it in the first place and resign yeah
0: the uh i'll just throw in discovery math i'll just throw in the phrase discovery math in there as a as just a just a lob
1: yeah no bang on no i mean i think that that's the contrast both both sides would frankly welcome right and that's what's so interesting about this file is um that yes the liberals would like to hire more unionized teachers, not for nefarious union-related reasons, but like I think the damage done through the pandemic to kids' achievement, well-being, overall learning can't be overstated. And the idea that we're just going to basically go back to normal and the system will just absorb this once-in-a-generation chaos is ridiculous and so like of course more investment is needed and the best place for that investment to be is in you know trained ontario teachers giving one-on-one attention to students so like bring it on is what i think the liberals would say
0: yeah i two things kind of stick out here to me in that like the contrast also against what parents have felt is is interesting cuz it doesn't come out and say frame it as oppositional but like i think if you were to ask most people what was the problem with schools this year and what more could have be done what more could have been done to prevent the spread of covid it would have been smaller class sizes and ventilation neither of which was moved on in time and so i kind of like it because without sort of like making it about a pandemic intervention it actually solves or it addresses i think two of the major flaws in what i think most parents would perceive to be you know what the government didn't do enough on and you know i think like the you know if your kids are are home and there's no predictability and stuff the argument that you don't want to hire more union members is not as powerful or persuasive if everything's fine then maybe you can put on that fiscal hawk hat and you're like a little worried about that and something like that but i think in this moment of like pain and frustration. There is, there is some real stuff there. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to Doug Ford, reviewing it, implementing it. You know, I'm sure it was, it was was taken in a spirit of, you know, contributing great policy ideas to a government that is clearly feeling very confident on this. All right. So I want to One last thing that came out last week is, I think we saw our first sort of set of attack ads that were interprovincial party, which is, is interesting. We have seen the Ford government attack the federal liberals repeatedly on the borders on that kind of thing. But we haven't seen provincial parties attack each other. And there was an ad released by the Ontario NDP attacking Steven Del Duca that I wanted to uh, us to watch and then maybe react to.
3: This guy, he's gotta go, but this guy thinks the job belongs to him. You might not remember his name, but you will never forget his record as Kathleen Wynne's right-hand man, making big cuts and bad choices together, slashing healthcare, and sending your hydro bill through the roof. Now he wants to be premier to do it all again. Steven Del Duca, back for power, not for you.
0: So, yeah, you know, very Michael Ignatieff vibes. He's not in this for you. Back for power. What do we think of the strategy here? Do we think it'll, and do we think it'll resonate? Uh,
3: no. <laughs> I mean, the most challenging thing a new leader of a third party has is name recognition and trying to get on the news and for people to know who they happen to be. Why would you be spending money advertising who he is? like Half this audience is going to be like, yeah, I really like the Kathleen years. I really regret that we kicked them out last time. Maybe I do want them back. Oh, this is the guy? Oh, now I know his name. Great. (laughs) Why Why are you advertising for the other side? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. I would just sort of take the position if I was advising the new Democrats of Ontario of, you know, we are the official opposition, we are the government in waiting, look at our policies, look at our candidates, look how qualified we are to replace Doug Ford in the next election, and then just ignore the liberals and try to make it like the same way the liberals ignore the NDP, right? Like, it's a strategy that generally works. Why are they talking about the other sort of left of center party? I don't know.
1: Or the various I mean, I'm not in the business of getting the NDP free advice, but like, or at the very least tie the liberal and the PC record together, right?
0: I haven't seen post sort of like current up to date polling on Kathleen Wynn's approval rating, but they clearly must have some sense that the areas in the in some of the areas that they think will be battlegrounds for them like Brampton I would guess is one of them that Kathleen Wynne is still unpopular and less popular than she might be in say downtown Toronto my sort of question is I mean you know because polling data in Ontario is like hard to find at like a very minute level and like I'm looking at so yeah maybe in areas that are ndp conservative battlegrounds and the ndp is competitive that's good but there's like all of york where like the ndp classically haven't been competitive but also stephen del duke has no name id and i'm yes i am worried that you are and maybe they're not running those ads there but you would be putting his name in front of a bunch of voters who are like oh i haven't i haven't really liked doug ford and that but i don't vote ndp and that's so that's so that's the guy to your point alvin
3: well, and on top of that, like they seem to be clearly admitting that they are afraid of the liberals coming back, right? Like they're, they're, they're clearly looking at numbers and saying, we need to attack the liberals and make sure they don't come back because they're on our tails and our numbers haven't changed in the last three years. And they're worried, right? Like this is an acknowledgement of that, that we need to attack in a paid advertisement, uh, the leader of the third party, because we're worried about losing our position
0: when I have seen those kind of at like tweets and stuff out of the OLP war room, I have tended to be frustrated by them because, you know, I don't think it's great for a party to be like, look at how afraid the other parties are of us when you are polling, you know, you've been polling, you know, in a very uneven way, like some good blips for the liberals. And so I think a good overall trend, but like, I don't think it's at all a given and yeah, it just gave, you know, like i'm sure it played into the worst annoyances that the ndp has with the liberals and the worst annoyances that the liberals have with the ndp because the liberal response was like you know our fight's not with ender horvath it's with doug ford and it was very i'm sure everyone in the ndp war room you know just confirmed all of their suspicions about arrogance about like feeling entitled xyz so yeah it was a little bit of muck i don't think that this is the line that the elections can be fought off of and i wonder if it's more about like taking those hardcore ndp base people who are fired up about Doug Ford and saying, also remember how bad the liberals were. And like, it's not actually about persuadables. It's about firing up the base.
3: Remember, I remember in multiple elections, we had the, you know, Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath, or Tim Hudak and Andrea Horvath, or, you know, two sides of the same coin, John Tory and Andrea Horvath. She's running a lot of elections. And we, (laughs) we kept pegging that and people were, I remember looking at those ads and being like, that doesn't, I think most of the electorate knows that the PCs and the NDP are different enough but to Sam's point like why not go all the way back like go back to the 15 years and the things that we did that were kind of conservative or kind of not the best decision or whatever it is and then make it a narrative of you know Harris and McGinty and Ford and and win and just make that the like yeah I should stop giving them advice but you know (laughs) it feels like they could have taken another angle for this and it would have been more impactful Yeah.
2: Just quickly, I'm wondering how much you guys think there's like an impact of federal politics in this. Like when I think of like normal Mm. everyday people, they're not like, oh, like OLP versus the federal liberal party. Right. Like it's all just one big thing. And so does this do these type of ads like from the NDP strategy? Are they thinking about the federal factor here? And the fact that there is likely going to be an election, a federal election before the provincial election. And like, does this type of uh, messaging help change people's perspectives at a federal level? Like just what what does that dynamic look like for somebody that's just living their life and not concerned about, you know, the minutia of, of party politics?
0: Yeah, it's hard to think of a more different face for the liberal brand than steven Duca and justin trudeau like i think that that's like and yeah i wonder if there's a little bit of two birds one stone
3: it made sense as an investment because it helps the whole the whole board but they didn't even they didn't even make steven look bad like this is a a (laughs) decent clip of him you know waiting listening politely and and then they're just putting like words next to his head and i don't know they picked an anonymous picture of of the premier I feel like they should have done the same. Like, this could have been, if you were looking at, you need to be able to look at ads without the volume on to also see what people are going to be receiving, right? You play this on CP24, not everybody listens to it when they're watching it. And you're just like in the doctor's office and you're like, oh, look at that ad. Oh, it's Stephen talking about ba- big cuts and bad choices. And there was a picture of Doug, right? Like, they failed on a marketing point as well. Do you know what I mean? And it could yeah. be all the things that they were saying the liberals were doing could have been Stephen saying about uh, Premier Ford. So, You know, just visually, it's also not as good as it should be. But again, trying not to give the NDP free advice here.
0: Well, you know, we are as a nonpartisan political podcast. We'll, uh, you know, which yeah, has three former partisans on it, and I, I, I feel like we're, you know, I, I, I like whatever whatever tidbits are taken away. I just want Ford gone next year. of to was quickly to the rapid fire? And there's a bunch of just it's been a, like I think some of these might actually be better full topics, but I wanted to just mention them because they're newsy, they're timely, and uh, some of them might more. But let's start with uh, pride because it's pride this week, and you know, I think we have seen. A very different pride this year than we, I think many might have hoped.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to take that. So, I, you know, just by way of updates on what you raised at the top of the uh, pod about, you know, corporate pride logos and what's some called, you know, pride washing or the CFL, which also made its logo rainbow colored has been in some hot water. They suspended one of its players, Chris Larson, as uh, Toronto police investigate his involvement in a gay bashing of 24 year old David Gomez, who was attacked and left unconscious by a group of uh, five people uh, who hurled homophobic slurs as he walked home from Hanlon Point's beach on June 5th. So just, you know, a stark reminder that lgbtq hate crimes are actually on the rise last year's total was the highest uh, since 2009 but maybe on the more positive side several ontario catholic school boards are flying the pride flag for the first time including the toronto catholic board and also much long-awaited news. Uh, The Canadian Blood Services has confirmed that they intend to make a submission uh, to Health Canada recommending the removal of the current ban on donations from gay, bisexual, and other men who have uh, sex with men election promise from the federal liberals dating back to 2015. And they plan to move to a gender-neutral sexual behavior-based screening. So that does not do justice to all the pride-themed news in um, Ontario. But I guess, yeah, reflections on any and all of that
3: i I will take the contrarian side of this, just being again on the west End of the GTA. the conversation here has been much more negative. There was an assault of a gay student uh, a couple of weeks ago. They've burned some pride flags at schools in some of the neighborhoods around me. and without being prompted, two of the board, the Halton Catholic School Board, as well as the Hamilton Catholic School Board, intentionally went out of their way to vote to make a statement that they would not allow pride flags being flown at their schools and there's been a reaction to that locally with a number of parents trying to support students and putting out pride flags i've got a a lawn sign and we're doing it in our community and we've given out hundreds hundreds and hundreds we're almost at a thousand across these neighborhoods which is great but it was because these boards are taking these active decisions to do that and the peel board while didn't go out of their way to vote for it have also not put up flags. They just like, we'll just stay under the radar with this and not make a public decision and then just not support it. So, you know, I've heard a lot of parents and and teachers of public schools come to me and talk about how this is still uh, a huge struggle in different areas and maybe Toronto knows better. And the Toronto Catholic board is trying to, show their progress. But this in combined with, you know, a whole bunch of other things that are happening in and around the Catholic Church right now, it's not feeling good in in these other communities around this. And on top of the fact that we haven't had a chance to celebrate Pride in two years now. Yeah,
0: I think it's tempting to if you're like extremely online, like see the like you see all the advertising that's pride specific and not realize that these things are still live in, you know, outside of downtown Toronto, policy cosmopolitan bubble, which I think, you know, if you're I wonder how targeted some of these ads are, I wonder if you know, folks across the province are seeing them in the same way that we would be down here. And so more to do for sure. But hope, you know, I I, like, certainly want to make sure we acknowledge it that we
3: we we celebrate it here. What just one more thing I want to touch on this, Chris? Yeah, like, we've had people trying to, you know, put out pride flags in Toronto in uh, the 905 and spreading out right. And it is very clear with the feedback that we're getting from certain parents and neighbors that the more into conservative territory you get, the closer you get to you know rural Ontario and suburban Ontario and Burlington and Milton and things like that. Those spaces, people who are putting up these visual signs of support, allies and people who identify within the community are having these discussions. And some of them are very, very negative. Like people are having very difficult conversations because of this, because the further away you get from the court, from, you know, Wellesley, the further away you get in terms of support for this still. Yeah.
2: I think just quickly, I just wanted to add, Sam, uh, you raised the Canadian blood services has confirmed that they intend to make a submission to health Canada, recommending the removal of current of the current ban on donations for gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men for for blood donations. And just on a very personal note, I received three rapid blood transfusions last fall due to an emergency health emergency. And like, the fact that this is still a ban, just like it boggles the mind, like, it is a life saving thing. And the fact that we are in 2021, still discussing this and still like waiting for submissions to be made and getting health canada to get its act together just boggles the mind because these i it just it it makes no sense on any level that this ban has existed and continues to exist so you know making the policy level very personal it matters and these things really matter for everyone in our country
0: absolutely so rapid fire item number one, done. I feel like uh, that actually may be a good place to leave it. But I, before we go, thing that, you know, in the, all of the vaccine, all of the, the cabinet shuffle, like the news that was, you know, in the splash that we talked about, I found that Doug Ford ended prison oversight boards and also stopped their reports from being made public beginning in 2018 and stopped filling vacant seats on them. So uh, this is something that I actually, I want to cover again on the pod in a more deep, way but i was like you know i wouldn't have known this had michael coteau not tweeted about it and you know i didn't see this in many major newspapers
1: like you surprised didn't didn't know about this and didn't know how they'd been sort of undermining their purpose since since they were elected in 2018 and then using the fact that they weren't effective as a reason to shut them down but they were the ones who made them ineffective like sort of a classic move but yeah it's sort of like what do conservatives have against prison oversight? Like it's sort of a weird bone to pick.
0: Yeah. And they're also right now investing in an expanded number of corrections officers. So it's clearly they think they have a constitu... I mean, I want to be really cynical here and like they clearly think they have a constituency in that group of employees because, you know, less oversight and we're going to hire more of you is a pretty like, you know, that's what they'd accuse us of doing or they'd, they'd accuse the liberals of doing with teachers. So.
2: I mean, just from a like a an equity analysis, when you think about who is more likely to be in our prison system because of systemic racism, you know the fact that there is no or that there is like a a winding down of of prison oversight boards just I, I, it exacerbates systemic inequities and racism, and I think it needs to be named. I I don't know how else to put it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's really right. And I know we should, we should, I will put this on the agenda for a future pod because uh, I'd love to dive into more into what these boards did, how they functioned, who was populating them and why the politics could have gotten to this place. But always alarming when you see, uh, you know, oversight bodies being disbanded without a lot of, a lot of uh, fanfare or attention. So we'll leave it there for today. Um, And we'll be back next week with a mailbag. So if you're listening at the end of a pod, you're at the end of the pod, you've listened to like 40 minutes of us talk. How would, what if, what if imagine a pod where we talked about what you wanted us to talk about? Send us a question. We always do a scramble the week before. Get us a question. If you submit us something, there's a very good chance it's going to get read on air.
3: Last episode of the season. So last chance. And it's the last episode of the
0: season. Yeah, we will be taking a bit of a summer break just to, you know, enjoy the company of friends and family members again. I'm going with the rest of my day going to go and nurse this Moderna hangover that I have right now. You know, it's safe to get the mixed Vax, but second dose, man, it, friends, it like really knocks down you your ass. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening you've been listening to ontario loud we are a podcast about politics and public policy focused on ontario ontario loud is hosted by grima tower kapoor alvin Tejo, and sam andry i'm chris martin we are supported by amazing volunteers uh, and harman Mundy, who helps us do research and communications he also sends us lots of funny memes in the group chat meem khan helps us do communications and social media and we are so grateful for their support If you like what you heard, go to iTunes and give us a review or head to patreon.com slash Ontario Loud and support the pod for less than the price of a cup of coffee each month. It's easy. It helps us support our costs like hosting and technology and helps us keep doing this thing for the long term. If you have any thoughts on what you heard, get at us on Twitter at Ontario Loud, on Instagram at Ontario Loud Podcast or Ontario Loud Mail at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Last but certainly not least, Ontario Lab is recorded on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, Anishinaabeg, Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat people and many nations. Toronto is governed by Treaty 13, and it is important to acknowledge that too often in our settler colonial society, we make conscious and unconscious attempts to erase uh, this history, and we must do everything we can to fight that. It's about more than a land acknowledgement, but uh, we want to end the pod with one. And we stand in solidarity with the First Nations uh, in our community and acknowledge that we have so much more to do and pledge to do what we can on this podcast to uh, further their cause. That's it for us, and we will see you next week.